This episode of You Talking to Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Hello, I'm Rachel Krieger. And I'm Philip Simon, and I'm back. Yay, so happy. <laughs> thank you. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Orthodox, so I thank God before and after I eat anything. And I'm Reformed, so I just thank God when the food finally arrives. This is the chat show that recreates the sensation of finding yourself on the miscellaneous table at your cousin Hannah's bat mitzvah. You're just biding your time until you can combine the dregs of everyone's leftover drinks and then you'll survive the evening on a Mazeltov cocktail. Each week we'll bring you two of our favourite Jews to chat about their lives and experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they mint tea or nativity? Welcome to the final episode of series two of Jew Talking to Me. So, Philip, you've had a week off, but what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Well, first of all, just to be clear, it wasn't a week off. It was actually a very traumatic experience. But anyway, it has been strange because obviously I wasn't in last week's episode, which gave me massive FOMO. But when I listened to the episode, producer Russell, he did an amazing job filling in. And far from being gefrunzled about being out of action, I actually found myself genuinely quelling over the show. That's a whole lot of Yiddish from you. Maybe I need some more meds. So I thought maybe that was my most Jewish thing but then something happened before we started recording tonight that topped that as my mother hosted her annual Hanukkah party. Now even pre-lockdown this was a three-line whip sort of event but when there's nowhere to go it's harder to make excuses to not be there. So I have just come from a Zoom call that included 67 relatives all dialing in from five countries. Wow. That's England, Scotland, Israel, America and New Zealand lighting our Hanukkah saying the prayers as simultaneously as you can over Zoom and even managing a game of Hanukkah bingo. In fact, the only thing missing from the real party from our perspective was childcare. Like, normally we turn up for the three o'clock party just before 12, having subtly invited ourselves over for lunch. <laughs> and then six hours later, we'd find the kids and go home. So this was the most exhausting Hanukkah party ever. Sounds it. Yeah. How about you, Rachel? What's the most Jewish thing that's happened to you this week? Well, in my stand-up over the years, I've told loads of stories about my childhood yearning for Christmas, despite my absolute love of Hanukkah. And I really do love Hanukkah, especially donuts. But this week, I was in one of the very strictly kosher shops, and I discovered that amongst the menorahs and multicoloured candles and other Hanukkah decorations, they were selling Hanukkah crackers. I don't mean like Jacob's cream crackers. I mean like Christmas crackers. These are Hanukkah crackers. I could not believe it. And I've actually said saved them so that I can open them for the first time on the show. I've got no idea what they might have put inside. Shall I give it a go? So hang on a minute, we're going to do this live on air. Literally, like, uh, how exciting can this podcast get? I'm going to open a premium Hanukkah cracker live on air. So is everybody ready? I, there's no way of me knowing. Philip, are you ready? Oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> no idea what's going to be in it. Oh, that was exciting. Oh, that so, sounded good. <laughs> I've got a few different bits in here. Let me see what there is. Um, so I've got a dreidel, very traditional That's spinning it. top. Um, I've got a bouncy ball here. The picture is of a donut eating a donut, which is a bit cannibalistic. Um. But <laughs> to their own. I've got a hat, which I'll put on for the show. I think why not be festive? I've got and an, just uh, for the audio here, I've got an orange crown, which I'm going to wear at a jaunty angle. Hang on a minute. There's, there's got to be a joke. Is there a joke? Let me have another look. This is good. This is a Hanukkah joke. I asked the waiter if my luckers would be long and he said, no, sir. 
they'll definitely be round. I think it's great that in 2020, your waiter is calling you sir. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. Those are the contents of the premium Hanukkah crackers that have honestly made my ear. I mean, premium is a stretch. I got a hat. You got you got a hat. You got you got some schmutter. I got a hat that I'm now wearing on top of my existing hat, which makes it all the more festive, I think, in every way. Well, I wish you and your family all the joy in the world that you will get out of those crackers. But it's not all about them and it's not all about us. It's time to bring on our guests. Our first is a radio presenter, podcast host, film critic and journalist. He presents on BBC Radio London and BBC News, is the host of Seen Anything Good Lately podcast, film critic for The New European, The Lady and Saga magazines, and author of the best-selling film biography, Woody Allen, Film by Film. It's Jason Solomons. Thank you very much. Hello, Rachel. Hello, Philip. How are you? Very well, thanks. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I am an Arsenal supporter. I should say this at this point. So before this show begins, I'm an Arsenal fan. By the time it ends, I I, I may have to renounce that. I just thought I'd introduce a little football element, get it off my chest, because there's a lot of Jewish Arsenal fans and they'll all be fetching and not felling. We are so far from felling. Hopefully we can take your mind off it. What kind of Jew are you? A worried Jew right now. (laughs) I'm I'm a very proud Jew. I'm not a very good Jew. But I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of it. Um, I'm married to a non-Jewish woman. My wife isn't Jewish, but she says she married in. I didn't marry out. Um, <laughs> although we've done nothing about that. But my children have been raised Jewish in some vague way. We do Friday night. We do Hanukkah candles. We do Pesach. They can say the blessings. I talk about it a lot. I do it a lot as a shtick. You know, it's not something I'm ashamed of. Um, I've got a name, Jason Solomons. I've got, I'm not going to hide it. I'm very proud to be a British London Jew. And what is the most Jewish thing? that's happened to you recently well we have had hanukkah so i've been doing that i actually was on the radio on bbc radio london all last week which coincided with hanukkah so i had a a morning show and i managed to get the um uh, have a handover with vanessa felt who does the breakfast show so in that sort of 10 minutes we have a little sort of banter before her when her show ends and mine show starts so that becomes very jewish so that's a pretty jewish sort of 10 minutes there we both i don't know for some reason we just go into this very jewish mode of discussion a mode of uh, of being so it becomes a very uh, it's funny but it's you know it's very jewish but then we have the food critic on on a friday and i said to him nigel barton you know, we should be doing some Hanukkah stuff, you know, get me some Hanukkah stuff to eat. So I did, I arrived in the studio and there were some latkes from Rubens, some sufganyot, the, the little donuts from Rubens. And so we talked about Hanukkah stuff. And so that, that was a fairly Jewish thing. And then I thought I couldn't get much more Jewish than that than telling London about fried goods and eating them live on air. The next day I had Boy George as my guest, which was is great. Always lovely to speak to Boy George. He has got a new single out, which has got an Israeli singer on it. And he's a rapper and a singer. So that was very Israeli. And I said to Boy George, wow, you know, he said, well, I've always done a lot for Israel. You know, we've always, when I was in Culture Club, we always had the sort of Israeli flag. And John Moss was Jewish. And I said, Oh, this is great. So, not just that you did the Christmas song with Band Aid and, you know, spread your arms around the world at Christmas time. He, he, you're now doing a Hanukkah song. He says, Oh, he said, Hanukkah, Pesach, Tuchus, I do the lot. (laughs) (laughs) I said, said, George, you know that Tuchus means 
you know, that's Yiddish for bum. And he goes, oh, is it? I didn't know. And then <laughs> at the end of the interview. So yeah, he invented the, the, at the end, I said, so happy took us to you. Happy took us to everyone. So <laughs> he invented the festival, which is very apt for Boy George, we thought. So that's probably the most Jewish thing I've done this week. I, I heard the song yesterday, actually. It was excellent. It's not bad, is it? I'm quite impressed with it. Yeah. I mean, it's very different. I, I don't know if it's a hit in there, but I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a decent piece of work, a decent piece of music. Uh, and he's playing at Wembley Arena if you need to go and see him. Well, you can't. I don't think, but you can on Facebook see it. I assumed this is like, I'm such a Jew. I assumed because it was on Shabbat. That's why you were saying you can't see it. And then I remembered secondarily that there's coronavirus. So that was... Yes, the virus, the virus doesn't take Shabbat off, Rachel. No, it's taking Christmas off, but not Shabbat. <laughs> the, yes, it was given annual leave uh, for, for Christmas, for sure. I love the idea. I want Happy Tuchus to catch on as, as a thing. Let's hashtag uh, it. Let's do it. Let's uh, all of our followers on uh, social media, hashtag Happy Tuchus, and let's see how far we get with that. Every day is Happy Tuchus Day. <laughs> our next guest is the author of 20 novels, including 18 New York Times bestsellers, as well as a cookbook and numerous short stories. She's published in over 25 languages and has over 10 million books in print worldwide. It's Jane Green. Hello. Welcome, Jane. Tell us, what kind of Jew are you? Well, I'm the opposite of, of Jason in that I am a Christmas Jew. Growing up, we always did Christmas and sort of Hanukkah, but there was a bit more focus on Christmas. And normally at home, we do have a Christmas tree, but we do also have the menorah. Um, although now I'm here for a year and we don't have a menorah. My, my son was having a go at me tonight. Anyway, so I'm, I'm kind of a Christmas Jew. Um, to quote the late, great Jonathan Miller, at this stage in my life, I'm probably more ish than Jew. But I'm very culturally attached. And particularly now that I'm home in London, you know, literally two minutes away from where I grew up. So I, I'm definitely feeling more connected now than I have in years and years. And what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? Actually, I will say the most Jewish thing that just happened to me, which is that Philip used the word gefrenzel, which I always thought my parents had made up. <laughs> I didn't think that was actually a word. So I'm really excited because now I'll actually start using it. But the most Jewish thing that's happened to me this week is, well, two things, they both involve fish balls. So gefilte fish in America, it's horrible because Americans don't cook so nobody makes it and they buy it in jars in jelly and it's very solid and it's not very nice and they don't have officials or my mother calls them chopped and fried so the most Jewish thing that happened to me this week was going into Bajans and discovering that they sell fish balls in Bajans and I did a little happy dance and then my dad keeps dropping in with things from platters. So um, fish balls, smoked salmon and chopped herring from platters. He drops in at least three times a week. Very important supplies. Yeah, yeah. It is all about the food for me, really. What I am more than anything, I think is probably a food Jew. It is, it is just all about the food for me. That's true of all Jews, I think. You know, whatever, however they describe themselves, a bit of it is about the food. Definitely. Well, but actually, I've also become in, in midlife a bit of a drinking Jew as well, which I never was. In fact, now I've discovered tequila. So um, 
I'm a bit of a drink enjoyer as well. So it's all about the food and the tequila now. I do have a, a very, very close friend of mine who, when he met his now wife, she came round to Friday night dinner one week and brought a bottle of wine, which graciously received. And it took her quite a few visits before she realised she would have to tell them that they were allowed to open the bottle of wine that she was giving them. They were just storing them. And then and they weren't drinking during the meals at all. But oh. she was a family where they drink wine with every meal, probably even breakfast. But yeah, she, she had to train her in-laws to drink during a meal. You can always tell that that my husband is is not really. Jew- I mean, he has a Jewish grandfather, but he's not really Jewish because if you open our fridge, it is just groaning with alcohol. You've never seen anything like it. Wine and vodka and just oh, spirits galore. I drink quite a lot. I'm quite happy to be drinking. I'm a I'm a drinking Jew. Every every Purim is a good one for me. I don't even do Purim. I do Purim every day of the year is Purim for me. Listen, no judgment. I have four children, and my youngest are twins, twin boys. And when we had their bris, my parents flew over to America, and we had it catered, and the kitchen counter was groaning with just platters and platters of amazing food, bagels and salmon and just everything and just as the guests started arriving my mum came up to me and she said Jane where's the drink and I'd totally forgotten about the drink and I had nothing and so the guests at my twins breast drank milk and water. <laughs> I'm not a heavy drink at the beginning of a lockdown I did one of the weekly Tesco shops and bought a massive crate of beer because it was an offer and I still have some of them left beer is not the Jewish drink you don't it's drink- not it's no. not. I, I do have Baileys that we're, we're going through much more steadily. So we're talking a lot about food and drink, obviously, but slightly more excited about the drink at the moment. Because as a Jewish mother, I always want to ask, have you eaten yet? What about any earlier Jewish food memories? Do you recall a particular meal or a significant moment that was connected to Jewish food? Or is there something you love to eat? Jane, what about you? The only one that, that springs to mind is not a happy memory, but as a child, I loved tongue. And my grandmother always used to make tongue. And I remember sitting at her table one day and saying to my mum, what is tongue? And she went, tongue? And I, that was it. That's the last time I've ever eaten tongue. And then also my father likes disgusting Jewish food, like calf's foot jelly and anything with offal. So I'm a bit dubious about some of the food. But I, I will take chopped liver whenever I can. And all my kids, I'm very happy to say my kids are all big chopped liver fans. And they can all make it too, which is pretty good. Really? Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I've taught all my kids to cook. And they're all actually decent cooks and they can all make chopped liver. And holla. I'm super impressed. Yeah. That's something we started making during lockdown is holla. My wife has really got into that. I think I'm going to have to start trying to make chopped liver. That's my next challenge. The trick is to let the livers cool before you chop. Excellent tip. So cooled chopped liver. My grandma's tip was always chuck in a lot of chicken schmaltz. And that was her tip for any cooking. It makes everything will be more delicious. A bit like now when you watch TV uh, food shows and it's always like, then you get duck fat. So when I was growing up, it was a jar of chicken schmaltz at this point. That will make everything. But I think that's a sort of recipe for everything that's Jewish, isn't it? A little bit of schmaltz on mm. top, within, that's what makes it Jewish. You know, that you, you, all the material, all your stand-up material, your books, Jane, no, no offence, but there's a bit of schmaltz in them, isn't there? And 
and my my stuff I do on radio, my my reviews, they've always got a bit of schmaltz. Everything's better. You can't can't go wrong too much, yes, but you can't go wrong with a bit of schmaltz. I think it's a great motto. What about you, Jason? Have you got any particular memories connected to Jewish food? I went to New York with my girlfriend, she was then, um, and now my wife, and I booked a helicopter in which I was going to propose to her over Manhattan. This was my plan. But before that, we had to sort of do a little, you know, we were touring around New York. And I said, listen, I'd love to show you the Lower East Side. I'd love to go, you know, we thought Bensing Crossing Delancey. Uh, and I really wanted to eat, you know, something Jewish there that we don't have here. Uh, and I sort of suddenly saw the Knish shop. And I thought, a Knish, that's what I need, a Knish. I've never really had a Knish, but I thought that's what I need. So I bought my Knish and I ate my Knish quite hard. I this is good. I mean, it's all right, bit of a fuss. I thought, but I've eaten my Knish. And let me tell you, a Knish sits. It sits here and it doesn't really move. It just sits there. And it gets to the time I'm, I'm you know, it's, it's, I'm getting a bit nervous. A, I'm going in a helicopter, which I've never been in before. B, I'm about to propose to this woman. And I'm really feeling the, the knish just sort of rolling around and dipping around here, just coming up like this. And I'm like, she's like, are you all right? I said, no, I'm very nervous. I've got flushes. I've got nervous. And then, then we ha- and it's a secret to her. And we've got to get into this cab and we're getting in this cab towards the, you know, the lower side highway, the east side highway where you're going to get the helicopter off. And I, I, I really, I just had to take a moment before we went in the helicopter. I had to go to the loo. And everything is knish is sitting here like this. Anyway. You'd be happy to know I got the knish out. <laughs> we got in the helicopter. We went up. I was so nervous. I was supposed to propose to her over somewhere, somewhere nice, but I got very nervous about it. And I ended up actually proposing over what was then ground zero. But uh, she said yes, and we're still here today. So that knish, I've never had one before or since, and I won't be having one again. I'm Thank going you. to go out on a limb here and say I don't know what a knish is. It's like a kreplach. But, um, <laughs> but you don't put it in the soup. You put it in a frying pan. By all means, answer my question with a more complicated word. <laughs> bigger than that, though. I mean, if you're getting... Yeah, it's, like, it's, like a big, it's like a big crepler. It's like a Chinese dumpling. You know the ones oh, okay. that uh, they fry in the pan and then they put water in as well and put the lid on? I watch too much television. That's yeah, what wow. No, it's bigger than a bao because it's fried. It's more like a lucka, but it's sort of fluffy with the potato. It's, it's round. Big and Big potato dumpling. Yes. Okay. That's the size of it, about that. If you yeah. throw it at somebody, yeah. uh, you, you can have an eye out. Damage, yeah. Heavy. They're very disappointing. A lot of those sort of New York things, you think they sound a bit blinces and knishes, and, and they're just very heavy and stodgy oh. and sort of flavourless. I waited ages to bite into this bit of heritage, like I was going to get a bit of history here, like I was going to imbibe some sort of, you know, Woody Allen-ish kind of, kind of thing and come out like that. So, no, don't. I, I'm not touching a knish again. Is I'm, it weird that I'm craving a knish now? You can have one, but don't propose, don't go in a helicopter, Take no transport. I mean, all this is just amazing. This is my favourite conversation we could have. It's good, though. We're learning. We're learning. I'm making a list of things I can start to learn how to cook and also things I now understand what they are. We're two series in. I finally feel brave enough to say, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And Uh, of course, we now know the title of Jane's next book, Love and Knishes. Oh, Oh, I like that. We always like to ask at some point during the show just to check in with our guests since there's so much going on in the world. What's the matter, Bubbler? So uh, that's the question I'm going to ask you now. Jane, what's going on with you at the moment? Because I've come from America where we're all quite COVID aware um, and obviously it's really bad there, I'm a little staggered at how cavalier people are here, including people that I love, like 
my parents. But people just, I mean, I was in town yesterday. I went to the Royal Academy, actually, and we walked home. And Regent Street was like, I mean, it was quite scary. It was just thousands of people. Gratifyingly, a lot of them had masks. But so often I just see people inside. I see a lot of people working in businesses with masks either around their chins or below their noses, which is sort of pointless. And I just worry. I've sort of, I've got some of that American fear now. So I'm a bit worried about what's going to happen after Christmas. I think that's very fair. And I, for the listeners will remember, I wasn't here last week. I've just been 10, 11 nights in hospital with my very bad back. And the number of people wearing masks there was amazing because you're finally in a place that takes it seriously because they see the actual effects of it. So the two or three times I did see somebody with a mask under their nose rather than over their nose it really stood out uber drivers i mean i'm now i now say because i don't have a car in london so if i do have to go anywhere i take a a, you know a car and the number of times i i get it and i now have to say i'm so sorry can you put your mask on please i don't know whether it's the sort of english stoicism you know polyos we've been through two world wars we're fine we'll be fine i I just people do not seem to take it very seriously here the problem is the judginess that's coming in now you don't know what to you're right to sort of say put your uber driver on i had an argument with a guy on the train on the tube the other day it's like if you're coming to sit to me you're putting a mask on and he's like oh i'm gonna do it and it all got heated and then we're judging everyone and now there's christmas coming it's everyone's like oh well should my should I visit my mum? And then, then if I visited somewhere else, then went, you know, I don't I need to be clean for a bit. And that, people just don't know where they're going. I, I think you're right, Jane. It is a shock to see it. We're not very good. We've always been like, if you go to France or Spain, they're all wearing their masks. Yes. It is, it's not really much better there than it is here. I mean, it's worse, in fact. So, yeah, yeah. So people are sort of saying, well, why should I bother wearing my mask outside? It's, it's a, a lack of leadership and a lack of kind of clarity and, uh, and people now taking it into their own hands. And if you're Rita Ora, it's all fine. Well, and, and of course, you know, what happens is people think they're doing their own research because they're reading everything that pops up on Facebook. <laughs> not realizing that the algorithm will feed you more of whatever it is you already believe. That's not research. Um, and it's become so politicized, especially in America. It is, you know, we you can, all of the Trumpers in my town will not wear a mask on principle and go into restaurants, you know, uh, eating inside and, and everybody else is, is wearing masks. Strange times we're living in. That's what's the matter, Bubbler, for me. Jason, what's the matter, Bubbler? Yes, I was going to go COVID and judginess and stuff, but if I'm if I'm honest with you, and I think I said it at the top of the show, what's the matter with Bubbler is that Arsenal are the worst they've ever been in my lifetime. They've now lost four games at home since the first time since 1959, apparently. They lie 16th in the premiership table, which is the lowest they've been since I've been alive and this is an existential mill around my neck as it is most Arsenal fans will be feeling sick and it's very sad even worse our arch rivals Tottenham are top of the league and sailing like they've never sailed before and look like they're going to win the league so this is a year where they could win the league and we could actually be relegated now Arsenal have never been relegated they're the only club who've never been relegated from the top flight and at the moment they are sinking like a knish you know it wasn't that long ago we were the leading lights of European football under Arsene Wenger buccaneering swashbuckling French, uh, just stylish and, you know, cutting a sway through the European fields. And now we are very, very likely to lose at home to Southampton this week. So 
there's a there's a crisis going on in the massive stadium just behind me where I'm speaking to you from, and it's affecting my very being. So that <laughs> is a big matter. That is a big matter. <laughs> I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you, and my other loss, and the loss before that, and the loss of the week before that. It's amazing that passion around football and the strength of people's feeling, especially, you know, there's your club and there's the rival club. And the only thing I know that can rival that in its intensity, and we're seeing it all the time at the moment on uh, the Jude talking social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, the, really the only thing that reaches that height of emotion is whether it's pronounced bagel or bagel. So I'm curious to hear whether you have any particular feuds in your family or broiguses that you've heard of where people are falling out over something very minor I understand football is not minor that is life or death what are the arguments that have really brought that pettiness to light what about you Jane this is a bit of a world exclusive I'm actually shedding light on a future Bruges. Ooh, mm-hmm. it's a Bruges that has yet to be um so I signed up for one of those DNA tests ancestry.com about a year ago and you know, it wasn't particularly interesting. I didn't really learn anything. And and I keep getting these messages from people who say, you know, I'm your fifth cousin, fourth removed. And then seven weeks ago, I got an email saying, you have a new DNA match. And I clicked on it said, your first cousin, name I'd never heard of. Wow. When I met my new first cousin for a cup of tea in Hampstead and I brought my mum along because I thought that actually he must have been related to my mother's side of the family I don't know why I thought that but anyway I brought my mum along for tea and this guy shows up and he's just green all over green all over so now we have to figure out how he's related was it one of my uncles was it my grandpa we cannot quite figure it out my father so I've asked my my I'm actually bought the test for my dad and my dad has done it which I think he was slightly reluctant to do because I'm sure he's slightly worried that some children will so he didn't really want to do it but we persuaded him so there is more light to be shed but who knows what's going to happen to the family once the secrets are revealed you're going to have to come back on a future episode yeah did he know he was first because he's not like oh well it's obviously he, he's been harboring the secret all this no, time so, so here's the thing his mother died two years ago he never knew his father his mother never told him who his father was so he knows nothing about his father's side of the fact nothing i will say this he's absolutely lovely my mum and i both just fell madly we just thought he was so lovely that i'm very happy to welcome him into the family but it would be really nice to figure out how we're i know it's close and by the way now you can actually take your dna and you can you can download it to one of the other sites so i downloaded it onto myheritage.com where it came up as immediate family so he's immediate so he's really close he's in hampstead well no though so he's in edgeware it's quite close but he's not jewish well i had to break the news to him actually he is 
um, at least on his father's side. But as far as he was aware, despite having been brought up in Edgware, he's not Jewish. I mean, it's not compulsory to be Jewish in Edgware. It helps. Yeah. So that, I thought that was quite a good future for him. It's a novel, not a Bruegus. Wow. Yeah, I think there's definitely a plot for your next book there. Yeah. Love and Knishes, you don't have to be Jewish in Edgware. <laughs> Do you know the American actor Paul yeah. Rudd? Yes. The gorgeous American actor Paul Rudd. Do you know he's actually an English Jew from Edgware? I met Paul Rudd in, in LA at the before the Oscars, the day before the Oscars had the Independent Spirit Awards, and I was covering the Oscars, but so you, everyone on the Saturday goes to the Independent Spirit Awards, and there he was. I found myself sort of just with him. Uh, like at the end of it, and I was about to take, and I thought, oh, it's Paul Rudd. I said, I'm from Stanmore, actually. He went, oh my God, Stanmore, that's next to Edgware. And we had a whole Stanmore Edgware chat, forgetting that we would really should be talking about the Oscars and sort of Hollywood in some way. And yeah, no, he totally grew up there for a bit, you know, and he goes back there. That's where his, that's where his people are. You know, when he comes to, to London, he has to see them. And he What's does. really weird, actually, Jason, is that exactly the same thing happened to me, but it was a dream. <laughs> Paul Rudd, if you're listening, please do come on the show. He probably would because he's he seems to be very proud of his English Jewish roots, very proud of his Edgeware roots. Jason, what about you? What's the subject now? Bruegim. The Bruegus that I'm going to talk about here is a Bruegus that I'm over now, but I used to do a lot of work for the UK Jewish Film Festival. Uh, I was on the board, I did was on the Pairs Short Film Fund, I was a judge, I read countless scripts that were terrible, and eventually we had to sort of encourage young Jewish filmmakers and put these scripts through and green light them and really help them make these that make this kind of rather rather now quite nice heritage of Jewish short films on the Pairs Short Film Fund that are on the UK Jewish Film website. And there are quite, I was very strict about they should be British, they should be jokey, they should be warm, they should show British Jewry to be what it is, explain it to people who don't know it. So eventually I thought, well, I would write a script for the, to be made uh, by the UK Pairs Jewish Short Film Fund and I would get some money from them, not a fortune, because I know what the budget is. Uh, and I just wanted a little bit to make me say, right, I'm going to go and do it. I wrote a script, beautiful script, lovely script that I sent to Gorinda Charter. She said, that's a beautiful trip. We love that script. Gorinda Charter, she knows, she's bended like Beckham. And so I gave it to the Short Film Fund and I didn't even get an interview for the thing, which I, you know, I thought, well, I should at least get an interview and get, get, come in front of the, the the panel, which I chaired every year for 10 years. I didn't get nothing, got nothing. They said, well, it's, and then, so I, I, I'm broigus with them. And I said, right, well, I, now I'm not going to host your, your galas. I'm not going to, on your patron i'm not going to be there this is really it, it's stupid what do you this is such a jewish thing to do to make it look like we don't want to say anything so we're, we're going to just not like ignore it and hope that you'll still be you know the, the sort of public face of the uk jewish film festival and will come on your radio show and talk about it. i'm like no sod that broigus this is official you're out it, it lasted till about this year when they they were desperate for help. There was, it was COVID and obviously nothing was going on and, uh, and it really needed publicising. They were going to go online and they asked me to do some Zoom interviews for them and stuff, uh, which I have done. I sort of buried that Bruegus and written it out, but I'm really still very Bruegus about it. And have you ever asked them about, have you ever actually sat down and talked? Because I think often people, people are unaware of the impact their action or inaction has. And, Actually, as hard as it is, it, it's sometimes very important to sit down and just 
tell people how you felt and how it impacted you. I did talk to the the the, the guy who runs the fund, and he was like, "Ah, oh, they thought you couldn't make it. It was too much magic realism, and that you wouldn't be able to make it, and that you weren't really serious about this making this film." I was like, "How do you know? You didn't ask me in the interview." So they didn't stick with me. So I was furious. And then the the, the head of the festival, Michael, is a lovely boy. He sort of said, "Oh, I don't know what happened there. Someone wasn't in the room, and this, 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 I don't know how it happened. I would have asked you. I wanted to ask you. We thought it was impolite to ask me." I said, "Yeah, it's bloody impolite not to ask me. It's stupid." So we have sort of had it out in a way, but I still don't know why. And almost it's stupid because it was a lovely script and I probably should sort of sit down and actually kind of go make that make that script into something at some point. Can you give us an idea of what the script was about? It's called my, uh, Grandpa's Shirts and it's about my grandma who said to me when uh, she's now dead, but she wasn't because she was sort of on her deathbed for years because we're Jewish, we kept her alive for ages. I went around and occasionally would speak to her about things and she would say, well, you know, I've still got his shirts. I said, what do you mean you've got a shirt? I've got them all in the cupboard. I mean, he's, I'm going to take them to him. He's going to need them. And I thought this was a wonderful thing. She, she, He died 25 years before her and he, she kept his shirts that she was going to give him. You know, she was so used to sort of ironing them and having them laundered and folded perfectly for him. Like a king, I treated him. And then she was going to give him. So I thought about this that one day they'd be reunited in heaven and she would come, she'd like be ready with her, you know, to die, but she's got his shirt saying, you'll need these for, for going to work in the, in the aftermath and that she would come. So I wrote a rather fanciful, cute script about this, this sort of moment where she, we realized she'd gone a bit doolally and that, that was sort of the end that she was on the, on the other side of dementia, but it was, it was touching. It's a love story and it's gorgeous. You know, my mum has it always often says that terrible phrase, no good deed goes unpunished. The kind of film festival thing, I think, at a certain point. I'm, I'm annoyed with myself for going back and doing stuff with them. I just couldn't leave them hanging anymore. I need they I'm need annoyed with yourself, Jason, because what you've done now is the best of both worlds, because you can continue to harbour and nurture that broigus, that grudge in your guts. <laughs> But at the same time, publicly, you've risen above it and done the right thing. So it's a win-win for you. Okay, that's how to deal with Bruegus in some way. I'm not sure it's what <laughs> the, the, the therapist would say, but it's a, it's like a, the Kanish way. Just leave it <laughs> there and eventually it'll come out. Well, we all have our little connections. For example, Jason, you went to Merchant Taylor's school, as did I, and one of our previous guests, Matt Kirshen. That's amazing. Right. And Jane, we've got a lovely friend in common, the brilliant writer Lisa Jewell. Not to mention that if you look behind me over there, I'm also a fan of yours. and I've got pretty much all of your books right here. I'm delighted. It's great for me. Plus, Jane, like you... I'm also a published author, though to be fair, mine's self-published, and it's a children's joke book raising money for charity as a perfect stocking filler, currently still available from my website, philipsimon.co.uk forward slash shop. But if you think about the idea of six degrees of can't eat bacon, other than us, who is your most interesting personal Jewish connection? Jane. Can I have more than one? Yes. Yeah. Well, I married into kind of fascinated I'm but I'm not sure whether I can claim that really but my husband's family have done all sorts of phenomenal things in fact my husband's great-grandfather started the Hebrew University and his grandfather was one of the founders of the Museum of Modern Art and the yeah. American City Ballet and all kinds of great things and my mum's family are millets as in millets camping so they started millets my mum is a millet but sadly, we don't own that anymore. Because I was very upset last week. I ordered walking boots and wanted the discount, but obviously didn't get one. But my own most exciting personal connection is my second cousin is Jennifer Gray, as oh. in 
Wow. Puts baby in a corner, Jennifer Grey. And yeah. um, she's lovely. And yeah, I know her and, and she's great. She's the one that had the nose job and never got any jo never got any work again. Yeah. She turned up in an episode of Friends and was unrecognisable. Yes, but she had a terrible car accident a week before Dirty Dancing came out. She was in Ireland with Matthew Broderick, to whom she was engaged, and they had a a terrible car accident which resulted in a fatality. So when Dirty Dancing came out and she should have been America's darling, she just wanted to hide. And I think, and then no, she has a lot of damage with neck and back and, and the nose, and she had some breathing issues. So the nose job was not cosmetic, actually. It was as a result of the car accident. That's my most famous one. Well, that is a very good connection for sure. Jason, how about you? My grandpa worked with his close friend, Uncle Monty, who was a sort of vague cousin of ours in some way. Uh, and he owned Pickwick Records. Oh. You could get them in Woolworths or whatever. And they, and they, they had a very sexy women on the front in the 70s way they were always wearing boots or leather boots and kind of kind of leotards and they were full albums full of uh, the latest chart hits but they were cover versions done by cover bands but i didn't know that at the time uh, and so i would get every month they would bring one out i sort of now that's what i call music it was a bit more jewish maybe now that's what you call music <laughs> and it was always a really sexy girl on the front so my entire sexuality is based on fancying well, they're definitely non-jewish girls on the front of these pickwick albums <laughs> uh quite risque uh that my grandfather would give me and, and we'd have the piles of these albums and then i once went to the studio to see them one of these albums being made with a cover singer and you know i didn't know up to that point that they were cover bands and i he said we're going to go see it being made and they made they made almost the whole album in the same day covering, you know, the Bay City Rollers and Chirpy 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 had been done by these cover bands. It was slightly disappointing. Also disappointed that there was no really hot chick being photographed at the time. <laughs> but my grandfather was financial advisor of, of Pickwick Records. So uh, for that, every time I see like a Legs & Co style 70s chick in thigh length boots, I, I get a free son and I thank grandpa for that. Well, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you don't write? So this is your chance to tell them where they can find you. Normally we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 30. Jason. Uh, well, I'm hosting uh, the 25th episode of Seen Anything Good Lately, my new podcast, which I started in lockdown. I've been doing every week in which I ask uh, pros in the industry, famous people, celebrities, uh, what they're watching and, you know, what their favourite film ever was, the first film they ever saw. It's a conversation. Uh, it's a chat show. It's also a great recommendation show because you find out about stuff that you should be watching because everyone always says to me, Jay, seen anything good lately? So I thought I'd flip it around and host a podcast for it. It's doing very well. It's really good fun. It's called Seen Anything Good Lately, available on all good podcasting platforms. And Jane? I have found myself writing screenplays of late. Um, but so it's nothing I can really share with somebody except the next project I'm working on the story is by the woman who wrote the undoing um and so we are developing that into a screenplay you will find me on instagram jane green author um and i have i'm 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 just sort of finishing the edits of my 22nd novel which is called the pleasure palace which is set in london and morocco in the 90, in 1968 but it won't be out until 2022 
Well, I've absolutely loved this. And from now on, I'll always think of Jane as the Jew who introduced us to the idea of a Bruegus yet to be. And Jason as the Jew who introduced us to the new holiday, Boy George's Happy Tuchus. Happy Tuchus. I like Happy it. Tuchus, everybody. And as my grandmother used to say when she wanted to end my telephone calls, you must have better things to do than talk to me. And you must have better things to do than talk to us, which is a good thing. As sadly, we've come to the end of this week's show and indeed this series. We'd like to thank our guests, Jason Solomons and Jane Green. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Don't forget to share, subscribe and review the podcast. Have a happy Hanukkah and a fantastic new year. And join us next time for series three of Jew Talking to Me. Jew Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Bulkin. That's how Philip and I started working together. I don't know if he'd say he's never had so much fun in his life, but uh, we started working together because we found it's really not as much fun to work in isolation and it's nice to have someone to bounce your ideas off. It's not that it's not been fun, but I've never spent 10 days in hospital before. So, Are you blaming Rachel for that? I'm not blaming Rachel. If Rachel wants to take responsibility, that's on her. I'm just saying the two, co- uh, maybe it's a coincidence. Thank you.